Welcome to The Winner's Edit, a Survivor storyline and editing podcast. I'm your host, Joe. And I'm Dan Kilby. What's up? And we are covering episode 10 of Survivor, Edge of Extinction, Blood of a Blindside, a double tribal episode. And boy, was it. Yeah, I mean, like every year there's one episode that the entire Survivor community sits waiting for. The episode with the most drama cram-packed into one hour, the least story, the least relationships, <laughs> the most nonsensical episode of the season. Uh, and we finally arrived at it. Uh, I feel like there's nobody in the entire world who likes this two boots in one hour uh, <laughs> style that we have right now. But uh, you know what? It, uh, we're going to talk about it anyway. Yeah. And to have that episode be what everyone was expecting, both of the remaining returnees going home. Yeah, you know, like, uh, I mean, last week we talked about how uh, there's like this stereotype that small players leave in these double boots. And then we kind of fact checked history a little bit of like, look at all these big players who've left in double boots. Uh, Every time people are like, oh, my God, I thought it was going to be Aurora and Gavin, but it was actually David and Kelly or Zeke and uh, I guess Will Wall, but. Um, like, like oftentimes these big players do leave in these double boots. Uh, and so it's kind of funny that the two biggest characters left in this double boot to kind of back us up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and like, it was a good trap because we had characters like Aurora or a Gavin or a Victoria who are like these less edited people who it makes sense to go, but nope, none of them went. I mean, Aurora, like, stayed by the skin of her teeth both times. Yeah, I think the thing that this proves is that the double boot doesn't have a whole lot to do with um, who's leaving as much as it probably has to do with the content that they got in the episode. But more specifically, I think this is a pre-planned thing. Like, there was no reward challenge. And like, you know what I mean? Like, I I feel like this is a on the beach they've planned that's going to be a double boot. I don't think it's like we're going to rush through these. like, I think this yeah. traditional knowledge seems to be. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I know there was some speculation that with last week's Tribal Council, they might have switched things around a bit, but... Oh, yeah, and I'm sure they do that. I'm sure they do. Like, I, I don't want to say they lock in on the idea that, like, this is where they're going to do the double boot, but I think they plan accordingly. Like there is a reason that that last week tribal was in one day. Like that whole round was one day. And then this, the first half of this episode was also the next day. And then this, the the one after that was two days. Yeah. I think if anything, it just shows that we'll still do a double and it's not always going to be these little characters. It might just be the two big returnees going back to back. Yeah. Cause like, if you actually think about survivor game logic, it's very rare that just like two small people get voted out in a row. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like generally, what you kind of see in Survivor, if you really look at things in the grand scheme of things, uh, you see a lot of big people leave on odd numbers, and a lot of like weak people leave on even numbers. Yeah, uh, and I mean, like this episode's a little bit of an exception where we people went big game hunting; they went for two big threats. Um. But, like, generally, you do kind of follow the pattern of, like, big player, small player, big player, small player, over and over again until the end of the game. But even still, like, um, at 10, we had a majority stick together and vote someone out. And then at 9, there was a blind side. Like, that majority 
did not stick together, and that's why Kelly went home. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that's something interesting about the season. Actually, is uh, similar to the storyline of the season. It pe- it appears that like there's no long-standing bonds, uh, and maybe that is, like it almost makes me want to give them a slight pass for how the season's been edited, where it's just like things are being dropped on a dime, so there's no way to tell the story of like what happens, like if no relationships matter at all, uh, there's no story. Yeah, it definitely seems like with War Dogs Alliance coming out of the blue and then it not sticking together throughout the whole episode, um, it's a season where people are more willing to work with whoever works well for them in the moment and not rely on things long-term. Yeah, and I think it's just like an interesting... No, because I feel like the other, and I mean, like we've compared this season a lot to game changers in the story structure. And I feel like there's no, like, I think this is the episode that confirms it, right? Like this is the, um, Michaela Andrea boot, right? Like the two big theoretical fan favorites, uh, leave under complete nonsensical, confusing reasons that just like aren't explained there's no real development it like michaela just gets voted out all of a sudden uh in my opinion it's like oh war dog all of a sudden just wants kelly out and has never really made any mention of this ever Hmm. i don't think it was as nonsensical because they're at least very like they like put stuff out they're like it's gonna be david or war dog it's gonna be aurora kelly but it was very simplistic and yeah the there being two tribal councils in one episode really didn't benefit these two cycles of the game. Yeah. And I mean, like I do like this episode in particular, like I give some sympathy to cause like I-, I get it. And I think they did an okay job at least telling the story of the second boot. Um, in like the Kelly Wentworth boot where it's just like they basically, but I mean like, I think it came at the disservice of like, I, at least to me, like, five minutes into that round it was super obvious kelly was going because it didn't really tell a convincing story of aurora going it told a convincing story of kelly going and then it was just like waiting 20 minutes for that to happen i thought Mm, i feel differently i think with aurora's personal content right at the beginning of the episode you're sort of getting set up for like oh this is aurora's time to go like you've been waiting for it and it just didn't pay off so it was really shocking to see kelly go instead of aurora you think so because like okay so for me the problem with the story was that we heard like literally if you go to like track each person war dogs like i have a plan i'm gonna one-on-one talk to these people individually uh and just kind of like like get this plan in motion and then kelly's content is like you know what sometimes it just is that easy uh like there's a little bit of doubt with like will ron steal her vote advantage but I felt like it was pretty minor. I don't know. I got, it's not like that matters a huge amount, but I do think either way, they didn't tell the most uh, brilliant story they could have in either the Aurora or the Kelly. Yeah, it is very weird how we ended up with like Aurora versus Kelly. And that wasn't like as captivating as it could have been because like not many people care about Aurora, but like Kelly is the player of the season so far. So Mm. and like we really don't see any like i guess like we can infer julie hates aurora because of that like that crazy standing up tribal like that makes sense to me so i'm okay with that i do kind of wish we got a confessional of julie saying she didn't trust aurora not ron being like julie could never forgive me 
if I voted out uh, Aurora because makes me think that it's not true. Um, I think we got we got like two points where Julie actually said she was against Aurora, not because she couldn't trust her, but after both immunity challenges, Julie gets like the confessional saying in the first one, "Oh, we can't get Aurora out," and then the second one is, "Oh, we can get Aurora out." So. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I just I, I wanted her to say like I don't trust her because this or I you know what I mean like to me it felt personal like the way Ron was telling it and then it felt game the reason uh Julie was saying it but that's fine it's not a huge deal mm. uh I think overall this episode was like a solid like six out of ten I think like perfectly passable but nothing special really I do like that it is just the two returnees here I think that's really interesting from an editing standpoint. Um, and like story-wise, like it really is interesting that we now have no returning players in the active game. Yeah, definitely. It's something we've like never seen before in a returning season where they all Certainly. go out early. Um, yeah, it really, it normally would really pave the way for these newbies, but there's a lot of them that are just sort of like, floating in like a space of like what is their edit exactly and i think that's tricky it is interesting that all four of the returnees are now on edge of extinction together like it is very interesting so and like i think it's kind of interesting so last week we talked about like our edgex uh vote of like who is the most likely to win uh and if you look at the unspoiled edgex vote and uh our edgex vote David David Wright was number one on our Edgic, and Kelly Wentworth was number one on Unspoiled Edgic, uh, which is pretty funny to me because one of them's one of them's a hundred percent wrong, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, so I mean, at least this season's unpredictable. Uh, I do think that that's kind of coming at the cost of lacking any sort of real long term storytelling uh, that's captivating, but. Uh, if you like unpredictability, uh, <laughs> this is for you, I guess. <laughs> I think, I don't know. It's like interesting that it is so unpredictable, but I feel like it's so much so that after the season, we're going to see a lot of people be like, well, it was just so unpredictable because of Edge of Extinction and all that. Like, Edge really didn't work here. So, like, even though I was wrong, it was like a weird season. Yeah. Like, I don't want to get too shady, but I feel like. I can already see the excuses. I can already see the excuses. I'm going to be peddling, so it's all good. I, everyone makes them. It's, yeah. But, like, uh, you can definitely see that. It's like, oh, well, um, like, does Edgic really work on... Like, what's... The, there's a great example. Um, uh, I'll think about it for a little bit, but basically, like, you, you see this a lot of, like, there becomes, like, a conventional wisdom of, like, thing you missed or whatever. Um, if only we realized that uh, it was impossible to edgic because, oh, Australian Survivor is the best example where uh, under the radar characters more frequently win. Uh, and if you go on some circles, you see a kind of tendency of like, it's impossible to edgic Australian Survivor. I think that's untrue. Um, and it's more, it's just a different sensibility, but at the end of the day, the only reason Edgic works isn't some rules, isn't some, uh, like, like the editors aren't charting, like, Miller, we're going to make Kelly Miller Road 2 here. It's the way storytelling works, and it's the way that mm-hmm. narratives naturally unfold. 
Uh, and so, like that's that, like that's the stuff you just gotta throw away. Is all the stuff that isn't just like, why would a story be told this way? Uh, yeah. And for that reason, you can account for Edge of Extinction. It makes it a little trickier, adds more variables, but at the end of the day, it's the same thing. Australian Survivor, they have more episodes. There's more time to tell the story. That's mm-hmm. the only difference. Yeah, I think it's important to remember, like, even though like the charts are a really great way to monitor stuff and like a really good way to get a picture of how a season went. They don't tell the whole story literally. And like, even those ratings, they're not, there's something someone made up years ago to classify how survivor is told through episodes. Um, It's fun to do the charts, but it's not really going to ever get you the clear picture that you need to truly predict the winner, I think. So it really is important to, with all your, mores and OTTs to consider what's actually happening in the episodes. Yeah, because like for me, when I look at a chart, it's like, okay, this reminds me of in this episode, this person got this kind of content. Mm-hmm. Um, and that matters in various ways, right? Like the reason we often talk here about how the swap matters is because it's a new chapter, right? Like, um, like the protagonist of a novel generally gets to speak at the start of a chapter, uh, and then maybe they vanish for a little bit, but at the end of the day, you're going to be checking in with the protagonist. You're going to be checking in with uh, people at the start of a chapter because you see where the story is going to go. It lays out the story for the swap. That's why the mm-hmm. swap matters. The premiere sets up who they are, introduces them as a character. So the audience remembers them. Like these are things that make sense for your winner. So that like, cause ultimately at the end of the day, when people look back at the season, like sure, they remember eighth place, like robbed goddess or whatever, but, at the end of the day, it's like, oh, that was next season. That was Mike Holloway season, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's what people think of, and that's kind of why this whole stuff matters. Uh, and it's exciting. I think that we now have the two biggest communities lacking a front runner, from what I can tell, and that's pretty fun to me. Well, uh, they weren't either of our front runners, but uh, it's still fun nonetheless. That the whole conversations. The open. curious thing here is that they could still put that person first because that person mm-hmm. is still technically in the game. True. So, like, it'll be interesting to see. Because I have seen a lot of, like, resistance to putting an Edge of Extinction player as your first contender because it just seems so unlikely that they'll not only get back in the game, but then go on to win. So it'll be interesting to see as these two contenders have gone there where people weigh in on this. Yeah, and I think at this point, I'm willing to firmly clock Kelly is not winning. Um I, th- I was kind of on that bandwagon all season, but especially now that she's voted out, um, I kind of eyed her as a losing finalist and her not like even making it there. I, I can't see her coming back. Uh, David, I could see actually being live. So it's kind of yeah, interesting. I don't know. I also don't think he's super live, but I don't know. I have thoughts on edge of extinction in general. When we get there. I don't know yeah, we'll get there. there. Good so thoughts, but yeah, like the thing is, is like this episode honestly is probably going to be a little faster just because like, obviously there is less content in this episode. Um, and at least for this show, we weren't like, we were like, we both had David third, right? Yeah. David Wright third. Yeah. So like, and Kelly wasn't on either of her charts. So I, I feel like the community, like the conversation at large in these communities that talk about, uh, Edric, uh, are having a like wildly different sort of thing than us. I feel like for me, this episode changed nothing for me. Um, 
I basically and just now see a clearer path for my front runners. I think I have a an idea of where this season could go, which, yes, to be too. honest, did stem from uh, Unspoiled. I saw someone say it there, and I think it's a really interesting thing to consider when considering some of the lower contenders. But yeah, I would say my basic contender list is the same as it was last week. So spoilers. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like last <laughs> week, literally, I was like, okay, edically, I like, I mean, last week, my, my winner contender then and still is, is Rick Devins. And I was like, okay, I, I see him winning because of his edit. How the hell does he make it there? I have no idea was mm-hmm. basically my um thought process. And now I'm like, oh, I can clearly see how he makes it there. And huh. who he's making it there with, and it's the other people I'm considering. So, um, I think that uh, is probably good for that. And so, much like the blood of a blind side being addicting, the blood of podcasting is addicting. So, let's move here to our story section, uh, where I think at this point we have a firm um, defining story of this merge, and that's the story of being a passenger pilot. Uh, Julian Wardog both clearly articulate this in the episode war dog says he's tired of being a passenger he was he was a pilot in the preseason in the pre-merge uh then comes the merge he had to be a passenger and he had to just kind of talk to people one-on-one but now it's his time to be a pilot and i think he showed he's able to do that by killing two fan favorites in one episode mm-hmm. yeah it's very interesting to see war dog who got a lot of recap credit uh very blatantly swing back into pilot mode where he is someone making the big moves. Uh, Julie, on the other hand, I don't remember quite what she said, but I think she mentioned at Tribal she was a passenger and she got to swing into that pilot role and she felt really good about it. But Well, I mean, so basically what her point is, and I think this is actually kind of a interesting theory here, is she's basically like, you know what? I'm not, I don't want to be a passenger on a big plane. I don't want to be number oh, right, seven yeah. or number four in a seven person group. I want to be the top of a three person group. I want to be the top of a smaller plane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's actually what we're getting at here. Uh, and I think that's kind of why we had a hard time construing this story is I think this is saying this is voting blocks, right? This is basically saying that uh, yeah. alliances who needs them. Uh, if you have a, a small group of people who you trust across different sides, you can have your own plane. You can be a pilot, some rounds in a passenger, other rounds, and that's okay. Yeah, it's just like this merge is a big airfield. Some people sometimes are piloting planes. Some people want to go take a ride with them, but it's not always going to be the same groups flying together. And at the end of the day, a big 737 plane has no business in, like, is less agile, basically, than a tiny plane. Um, I don't know if that's actually true in terms of airfield, but I think that's what this season's trying to tell us is that you can do more with a small group of people uh, branching out than you can with a big group of people top down. Yeah, I think we got to be careful with our flight analogies. They're pretty above us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I'm sure we have like some aerospace engineers or whatever listening, and they're gonna be offended, but. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, I think this is going to be a story somebody who at times was... Like, I, I think Final Trump Council is probably going to be dictated under this metaphor of mm-hmm. the importance of sometimes being able to call the shots. I don't think somebody's going to win on Social Game alone here. Yeah. Um, but I think that the ability to 
uh, blend in will also be massively credited. And I think that's, I mean, I think our main contenders honestly check this box perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, I think the big thing is that someone, in some way, some move is going to play a big part in the final tribal council, whether that's like a collection of big vote outs or taking just a really big threat out at the right time. And I think that's what's going to dictate the season. No disagreements here. And I think we probably haven't seen that yet. And I think that's pretty interesting. So do you have anything else to say here about passengers pilots? I don't think so. Cool. And I'm sure it'll come up uh, again with more of these things. Yeah. Uh, And literally, and obviously in this episode, we literally got like one segment of each vote. So Mm -hmm. not many things are going to be headed off in this uh, one, but we're, we're, yeah, this is one where we're going to be reflecting more on the past probably than most episodes. Mm -hmm. So we have here mothers, women, gender roles, which kind of took the side seat here. I mean, we got a little bit of Aurora uh, kind of talking about like, Growing up in a foster system, not having any friends, uh, but I'm not sure how much that really plays into the whole generals discussion that yeah. the season's really been placing. Yeah, I don't think much other than that. Like, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else. Can't mm-hmm. even really say like Aurora was credited for being like a strong woman, like winning the challenge or anything. I think, I think we'll see it come up again at some point, but it might be. Yeah. Sitting tight for a bit. And, like, I think the thing to, again, note here is, like, I really do think that this is ultimately, uh, I mean, like, in Survivor history, we see a lot of the time mothers get to the end and not get jury votes, not get credit, um, because whatever, they're too emotional, they're, uh, and I'm putting quotation marks here, like, they don't get the credit that they pretend perhaps deserve. Um, And I think this season is in some ways trying to take the side of like, Hey, this isn't completely fair. But at the same time, we also have somebody in Julie who really embodies this archetype completely of like, you can easily see the Don Meehan getting version of Julie getting to the end and people being like, you cried too much. You were too emotional. You didn't think about the game enough or whatever. Yeah. I think everyone sort of is spotting that right now. They're seeing Julie as this very archetypical character and, it's really just a matter of if at the end she comes out of it in some way or like the jury can recognize a different game in her as opposed to the flawed mother character that we so often see. Yep. And I'm sure this is going to come up more. Uh, this is almost at this point becoming a individual story because like we did have it kind of tie into Reem and tie it into Julie's kind of two flips uh to make i think make julie look better make reem look worse unfortunately mm-hmm. i think now we might be in the stage where reem's probably not going to get a whole lot more content this might just stick to julie maybe with a little bit of aurora but probably just julie and this is probably just a personal story at this point yeah we can see how it'll apply to maybe lauren or maybe maybe victoria but mm-hmm. it's definitely on the way out so I guess that's probably good for this theme. We're going to move here to new player versus old player. And what a fascinating uh, episode for this where Wardog kills both the returning players left. Mm-hmm. And because we're all super fans and he outlines the problem with mixed seasons. And I love him for it. 
Yeah, I think he said that Coach won his second season, which, like, not true, but, like, I get it. For he was talking fast. Point. He was yeah. talking fast. Yeah, it sounds really, really convincing, like, as an argument, like, if he's just talking fast and stuff. Um, but, yeah, he explicitly said, I've got David out. Why not get the only other one out? And mm-hmm. so he did that. And, yeah, I guess old players really were disadvantaged the entire time because they all got voted out. Yep. So that's the whole thing is like all season we've been wondering, like, is this an excuse for them doing poorly or is this a forced underdog narrative? I think at this point, unless one comes back and wins, it's the it's the former. It's an excuse for them doing poorly. Yeah. And I think the person we see as most likely to come back in is maybe David. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that really lines up because David's never really fit into that, like disadvantaged part. He's always been the one where we're like, he doesn't even seem like an old player. He really seems like he integrated well. So. I mean, other than the premiere, I believe David hasn't mentioned his other seasons other than like my brand's <laughs> loyalty, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like generally it doesn't feel like he like he never really felt all that attached. Um, and I actually want to bring up a uh, additional motif here that I think I finally picked up on. And I'm kind of shocked we didn't. I actually have it here in the next one on our Google sheet, but uh, the audience doesn't know that. So uh, I kind of think that we might be have some sort of arc here of history repeating itself or people being stuck in the past. Or something along those lines. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I kind of said that we didn't hit on it. Because so, I don't think it's going to be super relevant moving forward. But we have Aubrey clinging to her past of being an underdog. And being completely unable to play outside of that. We have Kelly. Uh, again, basically the same narrative. Like struggling to be somebody on the top. Uh, like not being able. No, not knowing what to do. Uh, David Wright being like my brand's loyalty. My brand's loyalty. My brand's loyalty. We're getting a lot of people repeat themselves to people over and over again. We're getting mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, doing things that they did in the previous season, but worse, like Aubrey finding an idol. She's never done it before, so she doesn't know how to read the situation. Kelly, who is the queen of the idols, finds it unceremoniously and gets voted out with it. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing like the uh, patheticness of uh, life repeating itself. Yeah, I think that is a really good point. And it really seemed like one or two of these people were going to break out of it. Like you constantly had Joe being like, I need to stop being Joey amazing. Like, and we're waiting for that to happen. And then it never happened, not only with him, but with everyone. I think the tragic thing is like, uh, Joey amazing wasn't on this season. He was just, uh, (laughs) Joey, not so amazing. And we didn't get the second arc, which is surprising, but um it is what it is and i think if we like sort of really get into this next theme it sort of comes up in all the times people talk about their previous life where they're like julie talks about how she hasn't had a lot of like outdoor experience and we see her struggle a little bit with just the emotional toll of it here um lauren's always talking about how hard it is for her um and then you have people like Chris or Eric who wanted different things and they really struggle with falling back into those things and whether they can emerge from it. So 
I think we really need to look for someone who's like breaking free of past flaws, I guess, or just not like addressing them very like wholly. Like, because I don't know, does Rick ever really like delve into like past? Yes. Okay. Uh, you know what? Where he hits this perfectly, uh, and the, exactly what I wanted to talk about here. Chris, or not Chris Devins, Rick Devins, uh, <laughs> early in this episode, says, I got voted out last time, and I was playing a non-loyal game. I was willing to cut people. I backstabbed Chris. And guess what? I came back. I'm going to play a loyal game this time. I'm different than I used to be. Mm-hmm. Clear articulation of the difference, especially yeah. when Rick in this season is kind of serving as a returning player. Sure, he hasn't played another season. He's already got voted out. He already knows what it feels like. And I think the season's taking that side of like, look, Rick's just like them. Uh, he's a different person this time, though. He was able to learn from his mistakes. Hmm. Yeah, that is a strong point in Rick's favor. So, um... Next up, we have uh, the checklists, the experience, what people want to do in Survivor, and the idea of perfection. All kinds of in this weird mega theme. Uh, and in this episode, like... I think the biggest thing is just when David got voted out and he's like, I'm still in game mode. Uh, I'm never going to give up. Like I'm going to score my way back in that whole thing fits in here. But other Mm -hmm. than that, like, yeah, it's, it's not really, not really coming up here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there's little space for it to do so. Yeah. Like we have Gavin's arc kind of fitting in here where, he wants, to, like, he's the super fan who wants to have the, uh, like, he has, like, a kind of, like, a bucket, li- a bucket, like, a resume, sorry, uh, of things he wants to do. He wants to make blindside. He wants to be a big player. All that stuff fits it in here. Uh, obviously, Chris wants to play the perfect game, all that good stuff. But uh, in this episode, no one really clearly articulated anything other than War Dog, uh, where, like, he doesn't want any returning players around. He wants to play the game his way. He wants to be a pilot probably the only real uh key thing there to connect him yeah uh should we move on to our next one mm-hmm. kumbaya survivor versus gameplay survivor the highs and lows i think this came in pretty strongly when at first they were just like yeah we have an alliance of six let's just agree on someone to go home and then they tried that again next time and yeah it didn't work but both times they were like if we've got a thing going, there's no reason to change it up. And yep. we saw it go both ways, so I'm not sure which exactly it's articulating is better if there is one. Yeah, I think it's more that Survivor is a game of highs and lows. Like, mm-hmm. like when you think that, like, you know what it is, honestly? It's, like, the perfect time to strike is when people think that they're living in Kumbaya Survivor. Uh, When Kelly went with lets her guard down, that's when the snake bites her. When, uh, or I guess the war dog, but um, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I think when Aubrey let her guard down, it's when Victoria killed her. Like, I think that's kind of what we're getting into. Yeah. And it's more like you should, this is the, I think this evolved from kind of a nuanced uh, topic into a age old survivor classic of you never let your guard down. Mm hmm. Yeah, that might focus on the later one where it's like always 
on the edge of being voted out. Like you never can really stop playing because it, it could always be you. So mm-hmm. cool. So uh, I guess we're just breezing through this again. Like this is so easy this time. Cause like not really much happened. Uh, so uh, other than like figuring out trends, uh, now that two big characters have gone, we're, we're just kind of dicing through this. Um, separating the game strategy from personal relationships. Wardog literally in the start of this episode was talking about how him, Lauren and Kelly were an unbreakable trio. And by the end of the episode was getting Kelly voted out for that. I don't think there's anything more uh, clear than that arc in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I really have any other way. It just seems like with the way the game is playing, where it's these different voting blocks that disassemble and reassemble at any point, it really, the important thing is to separate it from personal relationships, separate the game, because you can't, like, you can't rely too much on that, or you're going to be blindsided. You're going to be the Julie, so. I mean, we literally saw, or sorry, Ron be like, I could do this thing that's good for my game, but Julie would be mad at me. Should I do it or not? Like, he literally had a confessional basically being like, do I do the, do I separate the game from my uh, personal relationships or do I not? Um, This is so obviously a theme of this season. uh, And I think it's going to continue to be every single week. I think every week we're going to be able to come into an episode and be like, whoa, look, this is where it was clearly outlined because, uh, and like, this literally happened in Game Changers too. Like, if you look at Game Changers, like one of the m- most prominent themes is the uh, goodness of divorcing yourself from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I feel like we're going to see a cutthroat badass win this game uh, in the same way that we saw that in survivor game changers. Yeah. I think in one way or another, like a really like big, like game move is going to be rewarded mm-hmm. as opposed to like, someone who was social and played the game, but did it like nicely. Isn't the right word, but like uh, with etiquette, I guess. I don't know. Cool. Uh, So that works for me. Uh, And like, I mean, I guess the only other additional thing here is probably Aurora, like Aurora being on Aurora versus the world. You know what I mean? Like, um, She's willing to give up her advantage in the game to maybe make a better relationship with Ron. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the flip side of it. Uh, and I, I feel like when your philosophical standpoint is being defended by Aurora on this season, it's probably yeah. not the winning one. And I mean, Ron comes back and is like, hey, this was kind of dumb. Like, I could just vote her out. Or I could just keep the advantage. Like, either way it works. Yeah, either way um, I won and she lost. Ha <laughs> ha Yeah. It was not as many things this season. It was not kind to Aurora. Shocking. <laughs> um, and so here we have our last theme here, which is unpredictability, always on the edge of being voted out. And David Wright literally said this in the episode. Like, uh, like I forget what he said. Like, he's on the edge of extinction, but he's not quite extinct yet. Like, I, uh, <laughs> like, I was always almost getting voted out, but I survived. And his whole edge of extinction content was exactly this theme i I was like sweet we did our job we nailed it (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, I mean, it just continues to be a constant thing is that people get voted out when they're not expecting it. And yep. it's just, I guess, hot take. For. I'm predicting no idols will get played correctly this season. Mm. Maybe Lauren's, but other than that, I feel like we're going to see, like, from day one, Jeff Probe's speech was you never know when you're going to get voted out. Um, so I kind of think if somebody does correctly play an idol, that's going to be heavily rewarded. Like Kelly didn't seem to get super made fun of for not playing her idol. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Is that because she's Kelly or is that because um, like the season's trying to hype up the idea that these votes really are unpredictable. It is hard to play an idol correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say for sure. But the only idol I could see, I mean, I guess the only idol in the game right now is Lauren's, but it's also the only one that really got fanfare behind it when she yeah. found it. Like, she got a big moment when she found it. The other ones hadn't. So, Well, I mean, Aubrey got a lot, but it was True. also, like, Aubrey's, like, idol to misplay. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting. I feel like Lauren's could really go either way. I feel like she could... Get just get herself to a point in the game where she doesn't need to ever play it, like, and that just works out just the same. So, yeah, I don't know. Cool. So that's our story section again. I before we get into the tribes, I just want to say that I do think that the season as a whole, and I think when we look back on it, and honestly, in the moment, ultimate failing is that there doesn't seem to be a super cogent narrative, right? Like there doesn't seem to be. Like there is, but I feel like the like I think the thematic storytelling has been okay, but I think the interpersonal relationships have been pretty dog poor, um, in terms of how they're conveying these things, and like you can you can you can write off a little bit of like okay this is kind of a weird flippy season, but we've had flippy seasons where that's still been possible, uh, and so I do think that this is a little bit of a failing of the season. Uh, I think, I mean, I just have, like, a big theory for where this season is going, and I think if it tells that story, it will, like, it will make more sense, like, why it's sort of dabbling in so many pools, but, like, yeah, I feel like with the amount of characters they had, it was difficult to really balance everything, and I think stories did suffer because of it. There's just a lot of different takes for different characters. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, I think it was just really hard to do. So, okay. So Joe, do you want to outline your theory here of where you think it's going before or after we get through these? I think because it deals with like literally the last remaining person who's not been voted out. Like I better, because I need to talk about it with several people before war dog. So I don't know if we should like, I don't know. We'll talk. I'll, I'll say the bare minimum I need to about war dog, but like war dog obviously got a lot of recap stuff all throughout the season. This episode was huge for him where he voted out like the two returnees. I think that's not a war dog winner edit so much as war dog is the player. Someone is going to spearhead a movement to take him out. And that person wins. That person wins. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, I think there is such thing as a final boss edit. I think we've seen it a bunch of times. If you're not a video gamer, uh, 
a final boss is the person that you beat it like the hero beats at the end the big bad guy the villain almost uh but i do think in survivor it's not necessarily a villain um because i think a good example of a final boss on a season we covered was devon uh devon was edited as a final boss a uh, little bit less um well than war dog but i do think that it's the same thing where it is somebody who is presented as a threat who's crafty and sneaky and has all the abilities to play really well but just isn't the winner somebody to topple um kellen is actually another great example of a final boss i think my example would be from a season we didn't cover david wright from millennials versus gen x where obviously like sort of started as a growth edit but turned into a gigantic threat and like it was just a matter of taking him out at the end. So, and I mean that was very characterized by people like Brett's confessionals, who were mm-hmm. like, like, uh, it's like you have uh, Osama bin Laden and your crosshairs, and you're not taking the shot. What's wrong with these people? These people are crazy for not killing him. Uh, we have multiple people roasted back to back to back to back for not doing it. Every tribal council, Adam Klein is like, David is the biggest threat in the game. I can't believe we aren't taking him out. Um. His edit went. His edit started as a growth, uh, and people identified that. But it turned into something more than that. It turned into like, if you're not going after David, you're stupid. Hannah gets like disintegrated by the edit for not taking out David. Um, Ken gets like roasted. Uh, like you know, what I mean? like it's a season of people getting roasted for not taking out David, except for and the one guy who's willing to do it wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that says a lot about uh, the season. And I think you're 100% right here. Um, and Chris Hammonds and Milano's first Gen X uh, at the jury was like, basically the only thing he talked about was to Adam. And he's like, these other two had their chance to get rid of uh, David, but you're the one who did it. So congrats. You just won a million dollars or whatever. Um, and I mean, it was a 10 0 vote. I think that's probably something similar to what we're seeing. It's going to be like, how are these people not killing War Dog? And he's going to, I feel like he's going to make it to the finale. And I'm predicting Rick gets him out and wins. See, that's where I'm kind of like a little fuzzy on it. Cause like Rick is like one of the like tricky ones I see mm-hmm. getting him out. I mean, I think it's possible, but like I think a lot of other people's edits can really get bolstered if they're the ones who take out war dog. So yeah, I also agree with that. Um, so I guess before, is there anything else you want to talk about with this kind of idea of where you think the season's going before we get into people? I think that's a good enough place to start. It at least gives context to why I'm going to be talking about some people. And then also like why some people really even more so than ever don't fit into the story. So Cool. I'm. I think that's a good way to con- uh, contextualize this discussion. Yeah. So first, we're going to start with the people who have no bearing on what War Dog's doing right now. <laughs> the people on Edge of Extinction. Uh, maybe we should have done Edge of Extinction and then our discussion. That's fine. Um. So Edge of Extinction was in this episode for a solid one segment because you had to explain why Rick had a challenge advantage. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not looking too hot for the second uh, Edge of Extinction returnee, but at the same time, I do think it makes sense. They they literally had to tell like like if they had any more, 
this is a, this episode would have been really light on anything else. Yeah, like, I mean, it was interesting that we did get confessionals from multiple people during that search. Um, like Eric got it. I think Chris also got one. Notably, Joe did not get anything. Aubrey did not get anything. So it's like, it, well, eh, what's happening? I mean, and Reem. Poor Reem. Um, but yeah, I just, I have not high hopes for anyone on Edge of Extinction, which I do want to say, if I backed anyone on Edge of Extinction, I would say it. I feel like some people are just like, oh, the winner is the second Edge of Extinction returning. And I think that's, out. Like, that's such a cop-out because like that's literally half the cast now. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I get that you might think the season is heading that way. So you think it's the second Edge of Extinction returning, but just like give a name, like go off mm-hmm. what you're seeing in their game and on Edge of Extinction and like give a name like yeah like i love all of our listeners but uh if like if you're gonna on your edge of chart put like second edge of extinction attorney like number one or whatever and like like and you don't think anybody else can win just rank them you know what I mean? like uh just put them just put them on there uh one of my best friends uh is one of these people who just is <laughs> on the second edge of extinction attorney it's like it's just a cop out to bet on seven people like yeah like I don't know. It's like you have a horse race with 20 horses and you're like, I think a horse one through 10 will win. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, just because like, I don't know. Full disclosure, every week I feel like I'm going to continue to be like, okay, the person that just got voted out is the most likely to come back. Like right now, I think David Wright is the most likely to come back. Yeah. Like last week, if I was like, hey, second edge of extinction returning wins, like if like that's saying like, oh, with one of these people here and counting out David. But now all of a sudden David would count under that prediction. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a cop out. Like, the winner's not going to get radically different content on Edge of Extinction. Like, yeah. I think of the six who are here, because now I feel like I have to make a statement. I can't just be like, I don't yeah. think they're all winning. Um, I think, ooh. <sighs> hmm. I'll give you mine in the while you're thinking. So I put David number one, Eric number two, Chris number three. I don't see a path for anybody else to come back. I kind of feel Aubrey the most like now, like Eric just feels weird. Chris, I think it was just like the result of him being on edge of extinction for so long. Like he was able to benefit from that content. Aubrey, like, I guess makes the most sense, but now I would say David over Aubrey easily, mm-hmm. but yeah, David over Aubrey easy. I think David's the easy front runner here even makes sense with the, um, kind of prophecy. I could see him easily come back, be like, I'm so excited for my friend, Rick, him vote him out. That's the big move. You know what I mean? Like that makes a lot of sense still. Yeah. Um, by the end of the day, I'm not super high on this second edge of extinction attorney, assuming mm-hmm. it's these eight people. That said, if like Rick gets voted out, I'm still gonna be high on Rick. Like, um, the him being an edge of extinction returning means almost nothing to me personally. Yeah, I could see Rick coming back twice, and I could too. I mean, every time we've like, like Redemption Island, we had Ozzy come back twice. Like, I feel like it's almost uh, yeah, 
like history feels like it's written sometimes and that'd be one of those moments and like that's the other thing with saying the second edge of extinction attorney as your pick because like in addition to these eight you're also saying the like three two or three others that get voted out yeah like because what we're at uh four eight we're eight two more people out of these are getting voted out maybe even three before another person comes in so like Mm -hmm. betting on second edge of extinction attorney is betting on all but like what this is eight plus three that's 11 versus five people like Mm -hmm. i think it's a hotter take to take the eight people who are still in the game like yeah (laughs) this this has been like our shade segment like (laughs) but yeah i know at the same same time like i like i don't think we have a whole lot to say about these people individually you know what i mean like yeah oh for sure because okay let's just go through them aubrey wasn't in this episode nope she like scampered down the beach very weirdly chris wasn't in this episode yeah he had the confessional about the mast search yeah and he was wrong yeah (laughs) like eric had the one about the food and he was wrong yep Joe hasn't been on Edge of Extinction for like several episodes now. Yeah. Julia just got voted out and didn't get any content. And Reem is an icon who doesn't talk. Yeah. Um, of them, it's good that Chris and Eric got confessionals. Yeah. Uh, like, of the people here, I think Eric's the easy number one. Chris is the easy number two. They got mm-hmm. confessionals. And... They at least have some sort of story, I guess, in here. Like, Eric's considering leaving. He thinks about food. Chris catches fish. Like, it's something. It's more than the others. Yep. I think I think we'll see what happens next episode with David and Kelly there and a little yep. bit more time to play on it. But, yeah, so I guess with that said, we'll move here to the Vata tribe. Um, the actual players left in the game. Yes. We're going to start here with her big breakout episode. Uh, By far her most visible, I believe, Aurora. Yes. The Aurora dog herself. (laughs) Um, Aurora does not really play into the going to blindside war dog and win the game story. Does not. I think she's probably just another person who will go before the finale. Like, I think that she's really getting pushed as a big threat now mm-hmm. um i don't know it's a weird story it, she truly is like the angela allison like toss-up of the season yeah that's like, the thing is like if you told me she's fifth place i'm like okay sure like yeah. um for the sake of the season this girl needs to get voted out before the finale um <laughs> if this girl's in the finale that's a real bad sign i think for the episodes coming forward I guess um, we we haven't had too much tinfoil hat. Uh, she did get a confessional first episode, so we know who Aurora is. Yep, we know she's a lesbian. Um, we know she's a cat. She loves dancing. Yep. She loves peanut butter. Um, she hates soccer moms. We know what she likes. She, she knows what she dislikes. Uh, her number one ally was Aubrey and Joe. Yep. Um, she was an underdog because she wasn't incorporated into the comma six, which, if you look at the season as a whole is the villains that wasn't um, able to hold itself together. So she's smart for being outside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm trying to think of any other points. She's good at challenges. We got some personal content. We know she's raised in the foster care system. Yeah. Like, um, like a better edit than Kara. No, I'm just um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know why I'm so shady today. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doubling caffeine. But no, like we, we kid. But I, I, honestly, when you think about it, like I think it's a little bit of a testament to the editing that we can name that much about Aurora. Granted, it's us who spent our time rewatching multiple times over and over again. Yeah, but we still can. Like it hasn't invisibled her. This is better than Chelsea at this point. I would say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, she also made it farther than Chelsea. I think. Uh, no, she... I think Chelsea came in this exact spot next week. Oh, okay. So. I mean, yep. we could see it. Um, yeah, ultimately, at the end of the day, she doesn't super fit into the story other than being an outsider. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess in a way, the way they told her story isn't that bad. Basically, like, I'm close to the returnees. Oh, the returnees got voted out. Now what? Is basically her story. Yeah. What else was she really going to talk about in those episodes if you're just tracking her story? Mm-hmm. It's acceptable, I think. Um She's also not very good at confessionals, I don't think. So, <laughs> yeah. I get it. Um, which is shocking from the preseason again, but uh, it doesn't seem like we're missing a lot on the cutting room floor there. Mm-hmm. Um, she just seems to talk about it in a pretty basic sense. Not go into too much detail. So, I don't know. I think Aurora is fascinating, um, but she's the one I'm probably the least confident in where she actually places. She could easily leave next week. She could easily be in the final five. Doesn't mean much to me. I think the rest of these people, I think I could confidently slot in at least a tier of where they'll go in. Hmm. Like within two votes or whatever. Um, I feel like I, I can kind of see Aurora's the only one where I'm like, <laughs> she could be a losing finalist. She could be anything except the winner. I don't know. I'll think on that, but I feel pretty comfortable that Aurora is like eighth through sixth or fifth at this point. So yeah, I mean that's that's, that's half the things left. Like <laughs> oh no, <laughs> like all right, hot take. I think she's gonna come somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like unless it's the Angela, I don't see her being the fire making loser. Um, oh no, I kind of don't see her as a losing finalist, but she no. could. Be... Um, it's yeah. an edit we've seen before so uh, like at the end of the day she just doesn't have a story other than being a loser uh, and other... <laughs> you can't really place where that person's going to go are they going to make sure. a big move next week or are they just going to go for uh, poor little Aurora who knows they gotta get out those goats yeah so I mean speaking of somebody who is wanting to kill the threats uh, we have good old farm boy Gavin, who continues to kind of slide his way into getting some content every week. Yeah, like Gavin is like the worst case scenario of the war dog thing. Like he had that really strong premiere, like he's had content at weird points. And then if they just sort of bring him back into like ice war dog and then win this season, like, ugh. like yeah, Gavin's the one who I'm like. I can see it, unfortunately. I really can see the Gavin win for that reason. He fits really well into that narrative of the one who kills Wardog. 
Um, I just really hope that's not the case because yeah, complete butchering like of the story. Um, and I have enough faith, honestly, in the Survivor producers that this won't be it. Yeah, um, I think you have like he wasn't really highlighted during the double episode, even though he went to both tribal councils. Um, his relationship with Eric was kind of just dropped. Um, he did talk a lot about rocks in that though, right? Like he was like, well, I would go to rocks for Eric. I hope he would do the same for me. Um, like, you know, in survivor, you gotta be willing to make big moves. That's something he did say in that double tribal vote. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. Like at the end of the day, we do know his personal story. We do know what he wants in the game, which is something you can't really say about Aurora, for instance. Yeah. He wants to kill big threats. Um, and that's something that in this season is going to be good for him. Um, especially when he is really boring. Like, no, no offense, Gavin, if you're listening, but like <laughs> his confessionals are bad. Like, yeah. In the words of Eleanor Shellstrop, you're boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, maybe we're not to talk, but, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, like, I just like, he doesn't add much as a character. I don't mm -hmm. think. Um, yeah, it's just he feels he feels more and more each week, despite the content he's getting. Sebastiany, he does. like he just feels like someone. It's like what they're doing to him and Victoria is just sort of making them like Navidi bit players, mm -hmm. as opposed to like the stronger characters we've seen from them. And it's not the greatest, so, but yeah, like that's the thing is like for me, Gavin's the one person i think i'm like almost considering uh i'm not considering but like it's like i have this sinking feeling in my gut when i say gavin can't win that it's like but he can though it's just a bad story it, it would be too bad i mean if like gavin is the one who leads the charge on war dog and gets him out like he's begrudgingly near the top of my list but like I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think the likelihood is low enough that I feel like he's so like my prediction for Gavin's story is he's somebody who tries to get Wardog out and fails. Yeah. And then somebody else does it. Like he might mm -hmm. be the first person to be like, I'm willing to step out uh out of the trenches and fire the war dog. I'm not just a soldier. Uh and then gets voted out. Like I can see that happening very easily. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm on the lookout for right now. But if that changes, he is somebody who does have the foundation of a winner's edit. Yeah. Not anything else, but he has the foundation. And so that's good. Like he's the only person. Okay. So th this is something I'm just going to briefly touch on. Uh, often there's this idea thrown around that like you can have a story built now, right? Like I don't think that's generally true. I think the pre-merge tells the story of the winner. The post-merge makes you doubt it. Um, nine times out of 10. Gavin's the one character left. There's one more, but Gavin, there's two characters left who have any story they can build from here. Um, and it's Gavin and it's Lauren. Uh, Gavin could have a story built from now on of being like the fave killer. If he kills war dog next, but like, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to bet on the chicken that hasn't hatched yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It feels like Gavin 
Gavin's not, he's like getting content, but it's not really fitting into plans. It just kind of feels like he is like on the boat somewhere. And then he's like, this is what I was going to do. And it's either happening or it's not happening. So Mm -hmm. yeah. He's not a reliable narrator, all that stuff. Like, which like that kind of sounds like good content. Like you're getting to hear from him whether or not he's right, but also it's not because it's throw everywhere else. He's not a big player. Like he's not talking. He's not a big player at tribal councils. Like he's not, people don't talk about him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. So, so that's why I, for me, he's not in contention with like an asterisk, but the rest of them, I'm not going to be so fancy fancy on. So, (laughs) um, I guess that's good. Uh, we'll talk here quick about Julie who had a bad episode. Like, I like, I thought so. I thought this was real bad. I think this is a really good episode for Julie. (laughs) Okay. You make your pitch. I, okay. So last episode is also one that's sort of contentious for Julie. I guess it's like where your like Julie goggles are. Like I said, last episode, I'm always going to be like, Julie's my Angelina, my Laurel, like the one I really want to win. So I can throw anything into a positive light. But I do think after last episode, it's really easy to make her the emotional, irrational one. And I feel like this episode strayed away from that where it could. It made Julie look like she was just thinking about moves and making them as opposed to doing emotional rational things i don't know okay i kind of see where you're coming from uh i guess on the flip side my pitch for why this is a bad episode is like mm, okay i think your case is actually better i just feel like (laughs) julie was again presented as an over-emotional non-strategic person in the game and I don't actually think that's what she is, but I think it's what she's getting edited as. It makes me kind of sad. Um, again, at the merge, she's somebody who uh, views Rick as like, it's, it would be so awful to do that to someone. Not like, oh, I could pocket him. Um, and she's voting against Rick and all that stuff. Like, I, I just feel like there's too much dissonance between her broad story in this episode for it to be good. Yeah. Like, it really is, like, when you let me out on my own, like, I can build up my Julie case again, and then talking through it with anyone, it's just like, yeah, this is just, like, unfortunately, it's not Julie's. I would love if she were the one who, like, kicked it up into high gear and, like, took out War Dog. She like, could. Yeah. That's her path to win, right? Well, Yeah. I mean, but I think it's anybody's path to win at this point. I think, um, but she has the foundation for it. She's like, I'm not a sneaky person. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, so if she were to like turn around, really make a concerted game move that shows a lot of agency, I think that could be really impressive. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, despite this negativity, this episode to me more or less cemented the fact that she's in the end to me. Um, yeah, it's such a big episode. She got a lot of content. People talking about her, what she wants, what she's like. Um, mm-hmm. she got like focus in the challenge that I found interesting. Uh, and obviously we're gonna come back to that more later. Which 
yeah, we'll get to that. But um, to me, I finally see the path of Julie, Rick, Ron, or Wardog or something in the end. Like, I see that group moving together. Maybe even not consentingly, you know what I mean? Like, maybe not, um, like maybe not working together, but I see them getting there together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Rick and Julie at this point are so intertwined as characters that it's kind of hard to ignore at this point. Um, and yeah, I, I'll be shocked if she's not in the final four at this point. Yeah, me too. It just feels like, I mean, it's always felt like Julie is a big character. She was going to be the character of the merge and proceed throughout to the finale. And I, I still see that happening. So Sweet. Um, anything else you want to say about Julie? I don't think so. It was interesting that she got to comment on Rick's talking in the challenge. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. But I can't really tell which way it goes one way or the other. Yeah, like, I think the big thing with her is she comes off as, um, is condescending the right word? Yeah. Where it's Judgy. Judgy, that's it, yeah, like, yeah. she, she's very judgmental, you know what I mean? Like, she, like, um, when she doesn't like something, she really doesn't like something. When Aurora's pitching for herself to stay or whatever on it, I think it looked bad for Aurora, but I think it also looked bad for Julie. Like, it's like this, um like sanctimonious kind of like attitude that uh, it's almost Andrew Savage esque. You know what I mean? Where it's like, there's a way the game's meant to be played and you're not playing it the way it's supposed to be played. How dare you? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's real bad for uh, your edit. Yeah. So I guess that's probably good for Julie. And I guess that brings us here to our girl, Lauren, the warrior girl herself. Um, Darling of edgic forms everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I get it. She's cool, I guess. She has personality traits. She played soccer in college, and she likes food. I played soccer in high school. We have so much in common. Yeah, we do. Wow. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, We've not been high on Lauren. Correct. Um, this episode does not help. No, it's like... I, I I don't know. To me, this feels so much like Kara, where it's like... Every episode, they're like, oh, next episode, uh, she's gonna get this giant... Um, like, reframing of her narrative. Her narrative is gonna start in the finale, people were saying about Kara. Um, mm-hmm. I just, at this point, I think it's way too late for this girl. Um, the only thing in her corner is that Kelly Wentworth just got voted out, so it could be a pass the torch. But, like, it's the final eight. There's two episodes left before the finale. <laughs> like, Yeah, she did feel cold. She was spooked by the, mm-hmm. the vote. So she has some intuition. But, like, she didn't get any confessionals. She's had a pretty light post-merge like this is not a winner's edit like no matter how on paper her pre-merge stuff looks like a winner's edit like this is not what winners get we've seen it happen a lot where good winner edits will go south 
post-merge. Mm-hmm. Guess what? It's never the winner. Yeah, it's like it's like uh like Ken had a great yeah. pre-merge edit and then he started getting invisible and then he started looking really bad. Uh Ryan had a great pre-merge edit and then mm-hmm. vanished. Um even like, Kara to some extent. Yeah. Like like um what the merge boot was Joe and so since the Joe episode, which is episode seven, uh, she's been UTR fell off the thing and got like the Euro warrior UTR UTR. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, she hasn't got any tribal council confession or questions mm-hmm. since the merge started, which is like, that's the thing. People are always like, well, that doesn't mean anything someday the, it'll be broken. But like, once again, it happened with Kara, and she did not win. And here we are with Lauren, and still. So, I just please fall off the Lauren train. I mean, like, there's a world she wins if she like again she kills War Dog. It's a tight B edit. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, she is someone who has like previous like issues with war dog so mm-hmm. that makes sense they're subtly put against each other it is sort of like the angelina nick thing where it's like well she won't go to war- rocks for war dog i doubt we're getting rocks in this season but it's a good way to indicate distrust mm-hmm. um so that's good in her favor if war dog is in the end i do feel like it would be with lauren um yeah problem is i think i see her as the losing finalist not the winner yep um, the other good things for her, I guess, are like, um, her idol scene is by far the best. Yeah. Um, if somebody's gonna play an idol correctly, it's gonna be her. Um, almost by like elimination, but I agree. I get your sentiment. Like, she is going to. She has been shown to have the intuition to play it right if it does happen. But I I do think I mean by elimination yeah but I think we both called that yeah. Kelly Wentworth Idol was not going to do anything uh, substantial. Yeah. Um, no, no, there were points where we thought it was going to echo second chances. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. But like, I guess by and large, like when Kelly fell in that idol, it felt like nothing. <laughs> like it felt like yeah. there was no there was no hero music. This wasn't going to be a game changing idol. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um. Lawrence, it's possible. She wants to be like old Kelly Wentworth. Um, which I mean is good for her, I guess. Um honestly, I think Lauren reminds me too much of Kelly Wentworth in Second Chances of like an edit that's almost good but kind of shockingly anemic in terms of uh like story. Yeah. It, it like I've been saying, it's like the edit that has its bright points, but there's just something not right. And it's really fitting together for like some sort of maybe fourth place. Yeah. Maybe like literally the Kelly Wentworth, you know what I mean? Like maybe, um, totally would have won if she made the end Devin, like that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, I, I really don't see it. And this could be the one, I guess where we're both wrong. Um, I do think it's a bad story if she wins. Um, I think 
based on just who Lauren is, I'm not super angry if she wins, but like it's it feels like some things definitely change when we're considering Edgic. I won't be like, Edgic is broken, can't ever do yeah. it. But like I would be more open to considering, oh, you don't need to be present really in a lot of tribal councils. Um tribal council questions is out the window, confessionals in the merge, like a lot of things change, I think, if Lauren wins. Yeah, and like I think the thing with Lauren is like at this point, if she's winning, she's in the Sophie Clark, Natalie White style. Um and I, like the path I think for Lauren to win is like Wardog and Rick are both like the jury doesn't want to vote for them, so they vote for Lauren. Like like Lauren wins in a YX Y Wardog lost season. Um but I don't think that's what this is. I don't think Wardog's despite being central, I don't think Wardog is central enough to be a YX lost character. Yeah, I think I mean we'll get to Wardog, but I think that's the other path you can take with Wardog is like well, you can say he's winning because of this. Um but you can also be like this is why Wardog lost and he's going to lose to someone else and it doesn't feel like Wardog's doing that as much as the other two options. Like even mm-hmm. winning is more likely than him losing being a losing finalist. But especially about- like a quiet person. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um Anything else on Lauren? I'm trying to think, like, I guess the positives to her edit would be these tiny, like, moments of focus. For example, the yeah. that's a warrior. But, like, that's the same thing that we talked about with Kara, mm-hmm. where she stood in for Angelina, right? When? Uh, and that one challenge, it was like... Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, it was. She stood in for Angelina, and it was got ridiculous focus. Mm-hmm. Um, Devin gets. Why would they ever do a drone shot of him laying on the ground? Um, yeah, it almost feels like, for some reason, with some fire making losers, like Angela continues to be the outlier. But like, she ate the slug. But like, this is a person who is good and is playing a good game, and you like them, but. They lost, they couldn't make the fire. Mm-hmm. And it's like these weird scenes of like actually dealing with the elements of Survivor as opposed to strategy. Yeah, and, like if you think about the people who talked most about hunger in the last few seasons, it's Lauren, it's Devin. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's like, mm-hmm. like Devin never stopped talking about how hungry he was. That's like the problem is like right now, Lauren's two key story threads are loving Kelly Wentworth still and being hungry yeah that's like you would kind of think you would see something about why she took the pizza Mm -hmm. over the competing like even if it was something about how the game is important but i need i'm so hungry and i need to keep up my power if i want to do better in the future yeah like even if her story was like the problem i think with me is like war dogs like this girl doesn't stop talking about food and she's just like, yeah, I'm hungry. But, like, there's no complexity to it. Like, yeah, if she was, like, you know what? Part of my strategy is having more calories. So, because I do faint. um, And I need to be able to be sure I'm good in future challenges. Mm-hmm. I have an idol. So, I know even if things go wrong, I'm safe. Like, Yeah. I'm sure they ask those questions. um, And she's not giving us those answers. 
And so for me, I feel like this is super unlikely to be a winner. And if it is, I think it's a botch. Yeah. Like, I think Lauren is someone people will like to see win, but not a good story. Mm -hmm. I think so. So that's probably good for Lauren. Uh, yeah. We've ratted on her enough. <laughs> Let's get here to who I think had a superb episode in Rick Devins, who at this point, like maybe a hot take, I would be willing to take Rick Devins over every single other person in a bet. You know what I mean? Like I'd be willing to go to somebody and be like, I'm taking Rick Devins. You're taking the 15 other people. And I would see that as an even... Um, You're putting money on it, you'd say. Yeah, but like beyond that, like I literally think like Rick Devins has, at this point for me, such a high chance of winning that I see him as equivalent, as like the equivalent market share of the rest of them combined. Mm -hmm. Like... Yeah. You want to talk about weird challenge focus. Um... They played a news anchor theme and yeah. had hit like, and it was so shoehorned in. He didn't sound like a news reporter in that moment at all. Like he just said something like, it looks like she's going to fall. And I was like, Doo -doo 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 -doo. Rick says, she thinks he's going to fall. Ha ha ha. What a funny moment. Like what? I don't know. I think, okay. Right now I still have Rick number one because really like, it's that thing. It's like, who else can I put above Rick? But I am kind of like getting like weird, like Christian vibes. Like, like he feels like a big character, but not necessarily the winner. Like, I don't know. I feel like it can go south. I could easily see him get voted out and then come back. Like, like I, I really do think that's on the table, and maybe even, maybe even more likely than anything else. Um, like, I just like at this point, I see a path for him and Julie, probably Gavin. Like, I, I just, I can yeah. see, I see him being the one to topple War Dog. Um, he's also sub, like casually put against him, right? Like, we get mm -hmm. him at the uh, at the merge or the episode after that, being like, he's barking at me like a dog. Um. And I'm not, I'm not going to be talked to like that. Like I will take him out kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so he, he fits that narrative too. Um, he has that kind of prophecy thing with David. Like, I just feel like, I feel like it's hard for me to not see him right now. And maybe I'm blinded a little bit. Like, no. Cause like, I mean, I still have a number one and I, I'm not going to move him. It's just like. I can see where this is the same thing as Christian last episode, where it's starting to just become so apparent, but it's just a big character. I don't know. But I, okay, so I think the difference is for me, my big thing with Christian last season was like his story's over when he said he was a Goliath. And then the event, like right near the end, I started being like, oh, or is this just a coronation? Um, so I kind of doubted that read, but my read was that his story was over. Um, Rick's story's not over. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to be here for a while, I think. I think he does have longevity. Um, Whereas I don't think Christian had that. It was just either he's the winner or he's eighth place. I think Rick could be fifth place, 
in terms of longevity. I would probably bet him over most people in terms of locks to make it deep no matter what. Um, hmm. But I also think he has a tremendous win upside. So that's my kind of yeah. double whammy there for him is I think he does have both. I think he hits most of the themes in a good way. Uh, I think a lot of his negative parts are explained. I don't know. I feel like I feel like that one negative episode feels like a forced in negative episode to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, that was the one thing I wanted to bring up is that a lot of people talk about that, and I didn't get a chance to rewatch that. And I, when I watched it, I did not think it was as negative as people thought. So I definitely, before next episode of this podcast, want to rewatch that and verify where my thoughts are on that because. I know I just didn't see it as very negative at all. I guess for me, this is a point I'm going to make is like, I don't know how many times in a row, like I can be tricked by why would they show Adam getting duped by Taylor stalker? Who's a bad player. Uh, How many times like will Ben steamroll somebody? How many times will Nick act childish, immature, scream at people and throw a hissy fit before Mm. it's like, Oh, negativity doesn't really matter as long as it's justified. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the one hanging thing right now is a lot of people have been talking about how at Tribal Council he was like, oh, advantages are just an edge of extinction thing. And yeah, then we get, I, like, yeah. Shady side eye from Kelly and Lauren, as they know that's not the case. But um, I don't know. We'll see where that goes. I but think he also knows that's not the case, right? Like, um, so I think that's I, I do think it's a little bit more complicated. Um, Wait, how does he know that's not the case? Well, he was there, right? Like he knows it's not just idols. Like I, I feel like it seems like they've all been pretty open about what they're sending. Like he knows that Aubrey found an idol, right? Like, and not through Edge of Extinction. Does he? Well, he was on Edge of Extinction when Aubrey got voted out and said I got voted out with an idol. Did she say that? I don't I know. Believe so. Um, okay. Well, yeah, if if she said that, then yeah. I guess I can't remember if she said it to them, but she definitely said it on Edge of Extinction, mm-hmm. so maybe I'm wrong there, but like, I feel like he does know that, and that's more just speak, speaking, but either way, the fact that we haven't got it clearly said that he knows that's a f- falsehood means that for the purposes of the edit, that he does think it's that way. Yeah. Um, I guess... And, go ahead. You go. No, I was going to sort of wrap up on Rick. No, um, so I just think, like, he has the upside of these, like, weird focus, um, he, again, his boot still wasn't explained, he's the only person who got voted out without a reason, um, Mm -hmm. that's true, and I see, I I definitely see them being apprehensive about just having somebody fuck up and get voted out for, like, being bad, and then come back in, he's, again, in the most dynamic duo of the entire season with him and David, Again, gets reaffirmed even when David's gone in this episode. Thanks for my buddy David or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe, just maybe, this will be a story of David sending him advantages and Rick using them to his benefit. Um, I don't think that has to be a negative story. No. Uh, I think the Survivor super fan community isn't super high on uh, like Ben who plays four idols and plays three idols in a row and whatever. Uh, but I think casual fans love Mike Holloway. P- casual fans mm. love Ben. Um, I don't think 
like I, I don't think that it's really that all that disqualifying anymore. Uh, of I don't I don't like I think the unfortunate truth is Survivor doesn't super care about what the super fans think, and Rick is somebody who slides weirdly into that mold where I could easily see this just being the story of how him and David were able to control the game from the dead or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, his like advantage here wasn't really portrayed negatively at all. Like it was very fairly presented like, Oh, edge of extinction is a part of the game. So mm-hmm. deal with it. So, and that's been constantly justified. I think of yeah. the edge of extinction isn't a bad thing. Um, and, I think all that lines up really well for Rick Devins. In addition to the fact that people can't stop saying his full name. Like mm-hmm. War Dogs says it constantly subtitled uh, in like impressive ways. Like, like at the Julia boot, it's like Rick Devins does it again. Like <sighs> it's his first time he's done anything in this season. When you think about it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess my final, like, stance on rick is yeah he's my number one contender like just no one on paper like has anything close to that great of an edit i just i'm not as i wouldn't be as surprised to see him go out next though i agree but then i think if rick leaves next he comes back sixth i i don't think so that would be my take also Shout out to Rick for being inexplicably good at these challenges. Um, <laughs> I, I, I never would have called that. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like, I wouldn't even be surprised if Rick just wins out or something like that. Like, I think it's a hundred percent in the realm of possibility. Um, but I think it'll be, and, and I guess before we move on, finally, I think it's going to be Rick, Julie, and somebody else. Uh, in the end, and. Yeah. I feel like Rick beats Julie and it just like, can Rick beat that third person? So mm-hmm. uh, that's probably good for Rick Devins. We'll go here to Ron Clark, who has quickly become, I think my favorite character on this show by a decent margin. <laughs> I really like Ron and uh, maybe my third contender. Yep. I'd have him third. Like, I just think, there were like there was that point early merge where it seemed like Rick was going to turn into a big villain, but like he isn't. He's like another player like on the field. Like a lot of this episode, because he was the swing vote in both plans, and they were coming from War Dog, so he would be like, "Wow, War Dog is pushing this. That's kind of he's kind of aggressive, huh?" And then he would like go along with it, but like. I feel like we got tips of Ron, like maybe seeing War Dog's aggressiveness, and I think he's in a prime spot to do something about it. I agree. And I think like, Ron's an important cog on the chalk, like on the chessboard. He's honestly does have a good edit when you think about it. He now has mm-hmm. an extra vote. Yeah. Um, the extra vote plus that advantage, which may or may not come back. At this point, I think it will. I really do. Um, him getting that extra vote, I think, makes sense uh, mm-hmm. with that sort of story. And I really do think that Ron Clark, of the people left, like I think he's below Rick. I think he's probably below Julie, but 
Maybe yeah, not even. Maybe not even below Julie. Like after uh, what we've talked about. I don't know. Yeah, like he's got a great premiere. He's got an amazing swap episode. He's got a pretty dang good merge episode. Uh, and like, I really do think like Aurora, much worse edit. Gavin, much worse edit. Julie, comparable, I think. Lauren, I think a worse edit. Uh, Rick, Rick's better. Victoria, worse edit. Wardog, close. But I would probably put Rick Ron above Wardog. Um, but it'd be pretty close. Like for me, Rick, Julie, Ron, Wardog are the people I'm considering. Um, not hundred percent through the order, but I do think Ron Clark could win. I, from what I can tell, no one on the internet has him even in a like. He seems to be zero, getting zero votes on all the votes. Yeah, mm. I think he's had just a rocky edit that like throws a lot of people off. Like, if you didn't discount him for, like, his merge or his pre-merge stuff where he was under the radar for some stuff, you might have got him for when he was kind of villainous in episode eight. And I think, once again, it's, like, looking past all that to look at the full story. And I think Ron, for someone who didn't have a lot of, like, well, he didn't go to tribal council pre-merge. And... Now he's coming into a big player. Like, I think he's had a really good edit for that. So he's almost like the Sarah Lucina of this season. Yeah. And like, he is way more visible than someone like Sarah. He's even more visible than someone like Wendell. But like, people talk about him not having a super good shot because he's low visibility. And I think that's kind of missing the point. Um, he, when he's on the bottom, he articulates he's on the bottom. When he's on the top, he articulates he's on the top. Yeah. Um, he's the puppet master, and then the next week he's going to get voted out next, and so he has to adapt quick. Here we see he's a little bit of a villain. He's willing to cut uh, uh, Aurora. Like We know who he is. We know his job. We know what he wants to do in the game. We know he's sneaky. Like We kind of know everything we need to know about Ron Clark. And for that reason, I do think... I do think he's been written off for no reason. And kind of me too. I think I had better contenders and he was just kind of like the far off one. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, well, a lot of these other contenders have, have officially died. And now Ron Clark's left is still there. Um, yeah. He, he kind of reminds me honestly of like a, like a Fabio or a yeah, Bob. 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 Yeah. Bob, yeah. Like with that um, dancing scene, I was like, "Oh yeah, Ron's here! Don't forget." Mm-hmm. But like, like this doesn't feel like this is going to be the story of like Ron Clark, God tier winner. This is. I feel like if Ron Clark's the winner, it's like Ron Clark, the guy who like did enough to win. And that that really makes sense for like the way this season is going down. Like if you look at Gabon, where like that merge was just sort of chewing through big threats until you had like a final tribal council of like what would normally be considered goats. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be weird. Cause I don't think that will happen here. Like you would have to get a very specific group together, but I think Ron could... Aurora Gavin. Yeah. Or Ron Aurora Julie. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be, it'll be interesting, but 
from what we can see so far, I think he's a he has a shot to win. And I think the more I think about it, like Aris or Chris Darty or something like that is actually probably the best comparison where it's like, like they stick out, they do get visibility, they do have a story, but the game state doesn't seem right for them to win for whatever reason. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're winning. Um, and I think, I think Ron Clark fits that mold. And I think we haven't had one of those winners in a long time. Yeah. So I do think that they could be kind of pulling a fast one, not even doing that, but it's just, we're getting a different style of winner. We're not getting them. Like, I don't think Ron Clark is like the mega strategist. He's like the Chris who gets by. Um, and mm. so I think, I think he's a very viable winner contender. Personally. It'll be interesting to see next episode because the preview was like, Raw and Rick and War Dog Team Nick together because they're the big threats. So, like, how Ron is portrayed in that, because Rick and War Dog obviously are big threats. Yes. So like, Ron still is sort of weird in here. I think that'll be interesting. I agree. And I do think Ron, uh, I would put money on him being the second most capable player here. Like, I think Wardog's probably the most capable player. Ron's probably second. Um, and, mm-hmm. like, Rick is not a good player, I don't think. Um, and yeah. the fact that he has a good edit is the big reason why I have him so high. Yeah. Ron Clark is a good player. So, and a good confessionalist and all that. So, it makes, it makes him hard to 100% nail. But, um, like, that's the thing is, like, I do have faith in him to get to the end. Mm-hmm. Whereas I I don't really have faith in Rick to get to the end. It just the edit feels right. So I think that's the inner uh, dilemma I'm fighting is the fact that Rick exists really bad for Ron. But if Ron were to kill Rick or whatever, then Ron quickly rises up. Mm-hmm. And Ron could easily be the kills war dog. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's I shown said, game prowess, right? Like, And the seeds have been planted. Like we know yes. Ron is a little bit sketched out by war dog, but. And that he's able to pull off a blindside, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's the thing is like, if you're looking at like, um, like their power level, like if this was a, uh, you know, like if how strong of a person are they and able to trick people? Mm-hmm. One's the strongest trick tricker left, right? Like him and Victoria both have like, they've beaten strong people. Ron Clark made Joe look like a joker uh, when he was looking through his bag and then getting him out. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think Ron has been built up strong enough to kill War Dog. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Ron probably has the most variance where he could easily leave next, but like he has no longevity whatsoever. But he could win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that's probably brings us here to Victoria, mm-hmm. who's just falling off a cliff. Mm-hmm. No chance of winning, I don't think. Yep. Like, like I put her with like honestly with like Aurora, and that makes me sad. Um It's like to a point where I don't know what they're doing with her. Like, yep. Where does Victoria fit into the story? Like, why are we doing some of the pre-merge stuff for where she is now in the merge? It's just <sighs> like, when's it all gonna click together? Is it gonna click together? It reminds me of 
like because the weirdest thing is she was by far the most visible comma member pre-merge like uh, i don't know i'm trying to look at my chart real quick and analyze that maybe like, like she was there like she was she a winner was the, contender she was the speaker of the group you know what i mean yeah. like she's the one who spoke on behalf of the group she's the one who like i i do think she was maybe she wasn't the most visible like, other than aubrey and joe and all that but mm-hmm. like of the new players of the comma six she was she was that person yeah. And the merge hit, and she's been effectively invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me so much of Ryan Ulrich's edit in Triple H, mm-hmm. of high one. visibility falls off a cliff. Like, um, there's really nothing else to describe that with Victoria. Like, she just isn't here at all. Like, yeah, I forgot. I kind of forgot she was still in. Like, I kind of thought she was on edge of extinction for a little bit. I'm like, and then she had the confessional being like, I'm on the bottom now. I'm like, you just voted in the majority. What? Like. Yeah. Yeah. She really does feel like a no votes losing finalist. Almost. Mm-hmm. Where it's for like sure. really. And all that stuff we thought was good about her being able to separate game from. Like. Uh, personal relationships I think is would bite her there or it'd be yep. like you were too much of a robot like yeah it just feels like to me they're giving her the like any content she gets is going to be really good every one of her confessionals is really great like yes exceptional and I think it's the same problem they had with Ryan of how do you justify how this person loses who everyone seems to love um has good confessionals they they do this you know what i mean they do the they get you for the themes and all that and then they cut you before like they they, they just cut your content yeah uh to show you're not doing anything or whatever um i don't think that means she's a losing finalist but i think it just means that they don't want her to overshadow the winner right which sucks for her because she's great but mm-hmm. um like it's really hard to see where she places i kind of thought she was gonna leave in this episode near the start of it yeah um and that makes me think that she could easily leave next episode but i feel like she does have to pull off something like i think she has some sort of plot armor and i think she's gonna pull off one bit like she's gonna backstab somebody Mm, i don't think so no she really feels like she is just a piece for someone else to use now like you're right there she just sort of gets added on to things instead of instead of that pre-merge like we saw her like being very active now she's just passive and like she's never explicitly been chained to the passenger pilot theme but she's always a passenger since it started so yeah it's just sad like um and the sad truth is she's either like a Troisian finalist or like mm-hmm. a like idol victim, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Like almost the John Hennigan where it's like, wow, it's really great content when it's there, but sometimes it's not. Um, that's kind of what happened to John Hennigan. So I wouldn't be super surprised if that happens to Victoria, but she's amazing. And she's the number one person on this cast I want back in a second season 
hopefully she gets a more cogent narrative then. Yeah, because right now I think not only is she not winning, she's really like dipping on like a second chance. Like she's yes. almost like if there weren't a million people to choose from, like she would be like a random like second chance ballot person. Yes. Like Victoria, you remember her, and then she'd get on and like be impressive. But I agree. It's almost like, like I know I'm again bringing up Brian Allrich, but it really does feel like the merge episode of survivor triple H. I feel like I would have been willing to bet money. Ryan Ulrich would come back. He was like CP five every episode. Um, mm-hmm. Huge character. And I think I would now bet money that uh, Ryan Ulrich never returns to survivor. And I'm just because he just like huge character who just like disintegrated. And I th- I'm scared that that's Victoria's fate. Mm hmm. Yeah. So hopefully she gets a big moment again because that's what she needs to be able to come back. This is not her season. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So finally, the war dog uh, up here, the king of the recap. Um, and I think that's going to be the uh, major tipping point of this season. If war dog wins, it's like, okay, we got to pay a whole lot of attention to the recap. If not, it's like it. And where I'm leaning is, the recap more establishes threats than anything else. Yeah. Um, and threats get taken out in survivor. Uh, so I'm leaning, not winner. I'm leaning final boss with your idea there. Um, mm-hmm. cause he has been built up so much. Uh, and I just can't really see this being the season war dog wins. I would be here for it though. Yeah. I think, even all the effort they're putting into building up War Dog as a threat, it just doesn't. It's a threat that's not a winner. Like, and it's very apparent that's the case too. I feel like yeah, like he's still. It's like there was an episode called "I Needed the War Dog Needs a Dance Partner," and we didn't get told who that was. Like, there's a lot of weird missing threads here that I don't think it left out if he wins, yeah. and if they do, it's like he wasn't a priority for whatever reason. Yeah. Like in this episode, it was kind of justified, but the beginning is him making a six person Alliance. And by the end of that, he has betrayed half of it, voted mm-hmm. one of them out. Like, and he's kind of like, yeah, once I get majority, I can do anything, but still that's not really like what winners do. I think, I don't know. Yeah. Like, Generally, it would be some sort of uh, like, you know, this might make Kelly feel bad, but it's better for my game overall or whatever. Right. Like, um, I guess like if you if you have to show really quick, like, oh, this alliance of six happened and these are the people in danger who are in danger. Like you need that for the double boot episode. But I don't know. It just didn't come off right. Like a lot of stuff War Dog does. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It just like. I get it if he does win, uh, but I would have I would have him below Ron Clark, uh, which is I'm sure shocking, but he just does feel like that final boss, um, and I would not be surprised if he's our fire making loser, like at all. He's shown like a complete inability to win anything resembling a competition, like. <laughs> Like this guy, uh, I was looking at um, like the True Dork Times, just like their stats or whatever, 
And Wardock is now in contention for being the worst individual immunity challenge competitor of all time. <laughs> like, um, he's basically come last in every challenge. Hmm. Um, and obviously, Leslie lost basically every challenge. Um, like, I could easily, like, and there's been a lot of focus on that too, that like Wardock's ass at challenges. Yeah. Um, those are all things that could point to a losing fire or um uh, losing fire maker. Easy. Mm-hmm. It's not like like if you think about the final four, it's like he's not gonna win the final four challenge. Like yeah. I feel like Wardog can't go on an immunity run with this story. He has to get brought there. Cause he I I don't think he can win the fire making challenge based on the story. And I don't think he can win that challenge that drags somebody. So he's either getting dragged there or he's out fourth, even if I just view that part of the game. Yeah, I think that's a really convincing thing, is, like, with how the Final Four works, like, there's no path for Wardog to get into the Final Three, because he's not winning Final Four with what we've been told. He's not getting dragged if he's such a big threat. Like, he's not the type to, like, super miss someone. Like, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean. And then I think fire making maybe but i would say the evidence would build up that he wouldn't win Mm -hmm. so it just seems really unlikely that he makes it to the final three and i think from that it just makes it hard for me to say he's our winner yeah i agree like i think just that bottleneck alone is like bad for him you know i mean like it is a bottleneck like how will he get through it i don't know um but beyond that like i do think like we've talked about this a lot like there's holes in his narrative where it just doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. um, like, like, why are we being told that Lauren won't go to rocks for him when that's his only alliance? Like, mm-hmm. like that could so easily be ignored. Like, I don't know. Like, people are like, "Well, Rick had a negative episode too." And it's like, I can easily see why that has to be in there. I don't see why a lot of the negativity that went to War Dog in that vote, uh, yeah. The, the pseudo rocks vote had to be there at all. <laughs> like, it just yeah, like, we're gonna like, shit on War Dog now. Mm-hmm. Especially when, yeah, they didn't go to that first tribal council, and then they weren't the like they didn't get voted out the second. Like, I guess they really wanted to present like it could go to rocks on all sides, but it could also flip on all sides, and that's where it's coming from. But outside of that, War Dog is kind of consistent in what he is, which isn't like the best, but like it's consistent at least, which helps a lot in this sort of unpredictable season. So, Mm -hmm. so I don't know, like I would have him fourth, probably Mm -hmm. mostly like I have a hard time here because like I said, I have Rick number one by with like smoking gun number one. And then, like, Julie, I have number two, but she has such a high chance of being a losing finalist that it makes me struggle to put that there. But I feel like she's definitely in the final three. Ron Clark, I feel like, is a rising star of somebody who could make it there. Um, and if he makes it there, I feel like he wins. So I have him third. War Dog, it's just like there's too many other situ- situations where he leaves before the final three that I have him fourth, but I do have him fourth. Um, and he's right there with 
Julie and Ron, uh, but significantly below Rick for me. Hmm. I think I would have him below all those people, but also maybe David still. Like, mm. I'm just real low on War Dog. Like, I've, I don't know if I've ever been a War Dog supporter. Just has never seemed right to me. Because so, mm-hmm. um, this edit isn't like Tony's, right? Like, it really isn't. Um, and that's probably the closest comparison. Um, like, I don't know. It feels like a... In some ways, it feels like a better version of Tony's edit. Like, I'd be more happy to accept this as a winner. But in other ways, it just feels like it didn't... It didn't get off the ground the right way. Um, mm-hmm. It's not doing the same things that Tony's did. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a better, like, it's like, a, how do you put it? It's like a theoretically nicer looking edit than Tony's, but in a way that makes it a worse edit. Like, yeah, because we got to see the bad parts of Tony and mm-hmm. why that bothered people, but why that helped him. Yeah. But we kind of just see the bad parts of War Dog and then him get his way. Yeah. Um, where Tony was like a really complex, positive, negative character. Like for the most part, negative, but like he was super complex. Where it's like he's a con- like, um, Sarah doubts him, but then he tells her, and then like, like we knew who he was in a way that we don't know who War Dog is. We know who he's close to. Mm-hmm. War Dog doesn't have a Trish, right? Like. Yeah. Um, yeah, he never had that dance partner. Yeah, like, I think that's the biggest thing is, like, like this blindside of Kelly doesn't mean anything because we never got War Dog being like, I love Kelly. Mm-hmm. We got Tony being like, I love Trish. That's going to hurt a lot to vote her out. Like, um, that's probably the biggest difference. Like, he, he doesn't have a dance partner. Yeah. There's no way, like, for me, there's no way that episode airs with that confessional without splicing in, like, Kelly or something. Yeah, like, his only option, based on what he did for a dance partner, is Lauren. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't... That stopped making sense, like, two episodes later, so... Yeah, when he said, hey, Kelly, I'm thinking about voting out Lauren because it makes us, like, further away from each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So... I guess that's the thing. Um, that's probably good for War Dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that leaves us here with David and Kelly. Fascinating that they leave together. Um, yeah. We're theorizing that maybe their, like, their rivalry wasn't, like, so much just, what's the word? Didn't make sense as truly, like, up and down and they were going to the end together maybe but now they're mm-hmm. going out back to back in a double boot which i mean i guess we probably should have seen coming very josh and jeremy right like um when you really think about it like it really is very josh and jeremy um so i feel bad that i didn't think about that but that's fine um oh my god um but uh david i feel like could still win Mm-hmm. Like, I do think he comes back. That would be, I'd be pretty confident in that. Um, cause it just seems right. Um, I see him reuniting with Rick. And then, yeah, I think he has a good shot from there. 
Especially because, like, Rick's story was playing selfishly and then playing trustworthy when he hmm. came back. Uh, if David leaves his brand's loyalty or whatever, they said a million times, when he comes back, maybe his story is that his brand is now cutthroat I, I, uh, individualism or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that could make sense. So I see a realm of possibility where David wins, uh, but not super high. Yeah. Yeah, I would still... I don't think the the prophecy is out of the question in that working in Rick's favor, where he still cuts David at five. It is kind of weird that he is sort of pitching loyalty, but I don't know. Also, um, can I just say how weird it was that he was like, if I get back in the game, I'm going to make sure that I have friend, uh, like, I'm going to try and make new friends. This is going to be a big move and gives it to Rick. Like, I thought that was <laughs> bizarre. Like, I actually yeah. get the logic of, like, you want to have your friends around when you come back in, but that's not what he said. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that is weird. He's like, I want to make a new friend. He gives it to his only friend. Like, it's not a new friend. <laughs> and, like, um, literally everyone knows what happened, so. Yeah, and, like, Rick even says it, like, so weird. Um, yeah. Continuing to add to my point that I think Rick is a bad survivor player. Like, like. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. David has like a pretty good narrative, um, especially for coming back. Like when you think about it, like early on, a lot of his stuff was about survival. And we're like, okay, we can definitely see this guy on edge of extinction. Um, but in a way that makes me think that he could also come back very easily. Yeah, for sure. Um, and don't forget, he's a challenge beast. He's come top four in multiple yeah. challenges. Yeah. So watch out. Um, I think on the other hand, it's interesting that Kelly is like, just no chance. Like, I just don't feel it. I agree. I'm almost yeah. underwhelmed. Like, I thought her vil like, it turns out she literally was just Kelly and Wentworth. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that was me trying to say Kellen with Kelly, but it, I failed. Like, all season we were like, this is literally the Kellen thing where it's like, negative but not n like weird negative tinge over her entire season where she just gets all these like kind of kind of snotty looks blinks uh eye rolls making air on national television every week that like i'm a video editor people don't roll their eyes that much like it's so easy to cut away from people rolling their eyes and when like i'm filming a scene like you make a conscious effort to make sure that your likable characters aren't shown rolling their eyes and looking the other way. And mm-hmm. because just as much as they're rolling their eyes, like you can show them smiling or yeah, like excited. So yeah, it's just weird to look at her edgic bar, which is so like, like really like the on paper, like, wow, what a winner. It's it literally goes- it goes a little quiet post merge, but like, it's just all ratings you want to see on a winner. Yeah, and I hundred like like I hundred percent see why people thought she would win mm-hmm. because she never got that end right. And I think that's a tricky edit where she's not quite a villain, but I think she was. Um, yeah, and I think it just it never like I think she was edited as much of a villain as Kelly Wentworth was ever going to get edited as. Yeah. Um, 
but she never quite had an episode that was overwhelmingly negative. So she skirts by and no one sees that as a, as offensive as like the Rick episode where he is N, right? Like he's over the top negative. Um, but I actually think that the hints of negativity are a lot worse than overt negativity. Like we don't see Rick rolling his eyes all the time or like, like, like that kind of stuff's easier to avoid than big moments of their game falling apart. Like that's where you usually get like over the top negative or whatever, right? It's like a big moment in the game where everything fell apart for them. That never really happened to Kelly. So she doesn't get in. That never really happened to Kellen. So she doesn't get in. Yeah. Kind of complex neutral for most of the time. And then all of a sudden they get voted out and it's like, you look back on it and you're like, wow, I, I was cheering when she got voted out, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Another thing that helps is she's never like really portrayed as the leader of whatever move she's making. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of it, she has war dog there or like just other people to lead the charge. So she's not the one taking the brunt of the negativity. Yep. So I think it's like, this is, this is the, this is how you shield someone from negativity while still letting them be a villain. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. So I really do think she's just, she's dead in the water. I think Um, small chance she comes back, but won't stay. Mm -hmm. Like if she comes back, it's literally like the insta boot Um, revolving door. Yeah. Yeah. So uh i don't think she's off the table is returning but pretty close mm-hmm. like i'd part her above like above joe probably um but yeah just because she has been like the most visible character yeah it'll be interesting to see where her edge of extinction stint takes her also i guess before we move on like how weird is it that she went and told them that lauren found the idol like what a dick move (laughs) okay so like how can it affect things i guess i mean easy right like uh lauren's idol's good till the final five um from what we understand edge of extinction returning is gonna be six okay whoever it is comes back hey lauren has an idol split vote on her twice in a row she's gone like, okay. like, that's pretty dang easy. Like, um, I don't know. I think that's pretty. I mean, it's guaranteed to happen. Like, assuming Lauren doesn't play her idol. I mean, I guess that's a big assumption, but like, it's only two rounds. Guaranteed the person coming back knows she has one. Hmm. Who tells everybody? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's real bad. I think it's not great, but like, and if you're caught up in the, all of it, like, I get it in the heat of the moment. I and if you that. have an idol that you didn't play, like, yeah, yeah, you don't, you, yeah, I do get that. Um, but it's still a dick move. Like, it's still a dick <laughs> move. Um, I get yeah. where it comes from, though. But uh, that's good for Kelly Wentworth, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Do you want Kelly Wentworth 4.0? No. <laughs> Same. Like, Do you want David Wright 3.0? Um, 
I guess, are we asking like over like a random new player? Like, no. I don't know. It's really hard for me to want more of a attorney. And like David, I like, I get it. I don't know. I would say yes on David. Um, he, I think, is the only attorney who delivered at all. Um, yeah, like, I guess he makes for good TV. I just, I don't know. He's not really my thing in the first place. Yeah, you're not huge into the strategist kind of people, so I get that. But he did he did get me at the end. Like when he said his brand's loyalty, it really got to you. You're like that's so yeah. inspiring. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, for me, Kelly, it was like it's a, it's a fun three season arc where it's I like the the girl who didn't get the chance to everybody's favorite underdog to like the Pastor Prime like over <laughs> it all. Like um it's kind of like a funny like like uh you live all you, you're an underdog so long you you turn into a pretty judgmental kind of person uh player kind of thing um, i always i always keep thinking she has john Meesh to go back home to but no that's jacqueline so <laughs> <laughs> but like, Honestly, in this season she's a lot more like jacqueline than she was like kelly wentworth mm-hmm I don't know. It's like, even though she was a different thing each of her three seasons, she, like, had the same colors on her edgic bar. And, like, I don't know. I want to see a little bit of, like, either more, like, extreme versions or, like, just a huge tonal shift. And, like... she, They should have edited her in here. I really do think so. Yeah. Um, they they a little bit cowered it out, and I think this would have been a more fascinating season if they really did go full Stephanie, um, like Stephanie Lagrosa. But yeah. I do think that, um, like even like Stephanie, like they kind of were a little bit scared of editing her super negatively oh, too. For so. sure. Um, and I think a tricky thing is Lauren's there, and if you want to make Lauren a positive character, like you can't have her main ally be this very negative, overt villain. Like I yeah. think that gets tricky. So, yeah, actually, I just I just Googled uh, Guatemala's Edric Bar, at least according to this one. Uh, what we're on episode, we're covering episode eight, episode 10. ten. My bad. So <laughs> Stephanie gets her first negative at episode eight and then doesn't get another one until episode 11. So we remember that season as the season of like villain Stephanie LaGrosa, but she was positive for most of that season. Um, yeah. And I know you. You're supposed to consider in the context of the times, but I would say she's probably aged more villainous than not. So yes, we'll see. But um, so that's probably that's good for everybody. Uh, we've talked about who our winners are here. So Joe, who do you think is going to leave in the next episode? It's always Aurora, always War Dog. Um, next episode. Uh... I'm going with Victoria. I think I want to say Aurora or Rick. <gasps> yeah, like I think those are the ways. It's That's going. a hot take, but cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Winner contenders, Rick number one. So who knows? Hmm. Uh yeah. So I don't know if we have anything else to talk about. Um. Oh, next episode is called La Cheesery, right? What so, an, yeah, what a strange episode title. Be excited oh. for whatever that may mean. 
yeah, we've had so many generic ones, and then all of a sudden we have a bizarre one. So I'm excited yeah. for that. Um. So, anyways, that's our show. Uh, you can contact us at the email thewinneredit at gmail dot com. New episodes on Saturdays this week. Shared on our Survivor, our Edgic. Uh, review us on iTunes if you want. I'm sure all the cool kids are doing it. Uh, sometimes we put cool things in the show notes, Edgix, whatever, all that good stuff. Um, as always, follow me on Twitter at Danny Kills Bees. Uh, I've been trying to up my Twitter Twitter presence during Survivor. Uh, and then all my friends from high school are like, oh my God, you're so annoying. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that's all I have. My Twitter so- presence is non-existent. So <laughs> well, sometimes you tweet at visibility charts once i did that for the <laughs> that counts as sometimes <laughs> yeah most of my i i watch survivor every week with my friends like all sit in there and every like ever since i've started doing this i i've been trying to up my twitter twitter presence and they're always like oh my god dan you're missing the uh challenge i'm like this is when i tweet okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah so cool peace out yep